0: Your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist with the American Museum of Natural History right here in New York City. Where I also serve as director of the Hayden Planetarium. And I've got with me, uh, you've seen him before. You've heard him before. Eugene Merman. Eugene, thanks. We do. We, we you've invited us to your Eugene Merman Comedy Festival, which is a great thing you got going over there in Brooklyn. Thanks. Thanks for having us yes. be a part of that. Thanks for being. And just recently we did a show with you and like our name was on the poster. That was great. Yeah. yeah. I've been on a poster before. Well, welcome to posters.
2: Very cool. Yeah. I'm going to make you a star Neil. Uh, thank you.
0: <laughs> so this show is about nutrition and we're featuring my interview. With Anthony Bourdain. You might have seen him with his television show on the Travel Channel. He's going to have a TV show that's in fact, he's going to move to CNN and do a, yeah. a food show. it will
2: be like Anderson Cooper in the middle of a food disaster, picking up
0: food, going, <laughs> exactly. why? And I, and I said, I couldn't do this just with Eugene, although Eugene is a bit of a food expert because you're a voice on Bob's Burgers. Yes. You know, so he's got some food expertise. And, and I
2: got a D in chemistry, so I bring that also All to right, the table. So
0: I, but I, I, and he eats. I, yes. had, but I had to bring in a little more expertise. Sure. Just, uh, no offense here. Not offense. I, I, uh, down the Please. street, we've got New York University, a great institution. Uh, one of the uh, jewels in the crown of New York. And we have Professor Marion Nessel, Professor of Nutrition. Thanks for joining us on StarTalk Radio. Me. Thank you. So, uh, Anthony Bourdain, you certainly know the guy and you heard <laughs> of him. Yeah, yeah. And so we've got a, a clip of my interview with him. Uh, filmed previously, but we talked about just being in the kitchen Mm -hmm. as a place to experiment, what kind of gadgets are available. When we come back, I want to talk about sort of food science and uh, the science of the kitchen and what that means to you. Let's check out my first interview clip with Anthony Bourdain. What do you think of all the gadgets that help people cook food? They make great infomercials.
3: In almost every case, they're completely worthless. The salad shooter. Do you really... You know, the ultimate salad delivery system. I mean, is cutting lettuce so hard, you know? Something that will cut onions for you is completely insane as far as I'm concerned. There is no better, a good, two good knives, a serrated knife for bread and maybe tomatoes, and a good quality chef's knife is all you need. And a cutting board, a couple of good heavyweight pans,
0: and there's very little that you can't do. How do you distinguish between... Tricks, and I don't mean it in a circus sense, but just secrets mm-hmm. versus 10 years of doing it. Because so you serve a food to someone and say, what's your secret? As right. though you can just tell that to them, and then tomorrow they can do exactly what you made. There and, are and no, At what point do you say, look, I've, I've been at this my whole life? There are so. no secrets. This is
3: the, the, the secret of the restaurant business and professional cooking is there are no secrets. It is a mentoring business. Chefs spend their whole lives learning stuff. And then because of the nature of the business, every few months, teach everything they know, invest time they don't have in teaching somebody everything they know so that they can maybe have a Sunday off and that they could count on a crew. It's a military hierarchy. There are no secrets. There are no secret recipes. There are no secret techniques. Everything that you learn in the kitchen, you were either uh, told open source by your immediate superior, and that's been shared with everybody in the kitchen, or you have learned it over time painfully. Uh, You know, the ability to tell when a steak is cooked by listening to it in the pan or on the grill or determining that a piece of fish is probably ready to come out of the pan just from the sound of it. Uh, These are things you learn through repetition and that is the great secret. It's that this is how professionals learn, this is how home cooks should learn. People shouldn't be intimidated by recipes, they should understand that professionals learn through getting it wrong, getting it wrong, getting it wrong, getting it wrong, wrong, starting to get it right, eventually getting it right until it became second nature. It's repetition, repetition, repetition. You learn all of these things even if you don't understand the science behind why your stew is transforming, why it's becoming thick as it cooks longer, why your egg scrambles why the, the steak gets dark on the outside when you uh, expose it to heat. You may have no understanding of, of the science behind that, but you instinctively, of course, through repetition, understand it,
0: you learn to use it, and you count on it. Now, you've used two words in our conversation as fluently as any scientist that I know. First, E. coli just rolled off your tongue. Yep. And tectonic shift rolled off your tongue. <laughs> So, well, what is your science background? What did you high school science? High but, school uh, science. Cool. High school science, but but uh, I meant you you liked it,
3: I guess. I, I, I did, but um, you know, people talk about things in the kitchens like, you know, what's what's happening? Why is my steak getting brown? You know, uh, the caramelization of protein, the Maillard reaction. You know, the, that's kind of cool to know. It helps you out. Well, I'm betting you didn't learn
0: caramelization of sugars in high school chemistry. But you, you no, you been, learned it real quick. First time you stick your finger in
3: some, you <laughs> learn it on a cellular hot. level. <laughs> How come that's hotter than water? I hadn't counted no, on that. It's, it's way <laughs> hot. <Yeah. laughs>
0: so that, that interview, I, I just became so enchanted by, by him. I, mm-hmm. I felt like yeah, I'd known him my whole life by the, during that interview. So we're back in the kitchen. You like the kitchen. I love the kitchen. Why it's, it's it's the one place you can do legitimate science experiments and no one will fault you for it.
4: Absolutely. And if you're really a good cook, you keep notes on what you're doing. And if you A lab book. You keep a lab book. <laughs> you know?
2: If I ran tried to build a nuclear weapon in a kitchen, no one would be so upset. <laughs>
4: yes. You know, so if your cake fails, you try it another way. so
0: I'd be curious if, if on her shelf of cookbooks she's got lab books of what experiment Failed <laughs> cooking experiments, successful ones. Yes. So, is there some experiment you remember most that you discovered yourself?
4: Well, it's a, it's just anything that you make. You just keep making it until it works.
0: I think it's interesting that if you cook protein, it sort of changes. Yeah. Wh-
2: what was he saying when you you would burn your finger if you touched? Uh
0: sort of... Did the, you need him to tell you that you'd burn your finger right. if you... Touched- <laughs> no, but he said, but he he said faster than water. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, so I don't know it. science. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, if you melt sugar and it's yeah. liquefied, it's at a higher temperature than boiling okay. water. Oh, yeah. And yes. it sticks to your finger. Yeah, yeah. So, it so it'll... Sticky.
4: it'll and, yeah. and if you look at chefs, you look at their arms and they've chefs. got... Chefs. Yeah. They've got yeah, yeah. blisters and cuts yeah, yeah. all over them. Because they've it's,
2: been fighting food for years in a hot
4: kitchen.
0: Yeah. Indeed. So, yeah, so, like, for example, you know, egg goes from liquid to this... Fluffy form because you're heating the proteins. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an interesting mm-hmm. sort of consequence and of it.
4: Cream whips. Cream whips. Because you're beating air into
0: right, it. Right, right, right. I mean, I love yeah. it. I love it. When we come back, more of my clips with Anthony Bourdain and I've got Eugene Merman and the good professor of nutrition, Marion Nestle. See you in a moment. talk radio we're back find us on the web at starttalkradio.net you can listen to us three ways you can download the podcast on itunes and our website you can find us in the airwaves start talk radio radio also we are on the nerdist channel under youtube check us out you'll see us in video form I've got Eugene Merman Eugene thanks sure thanks and the good professor thanks for agreeing <laughs> to help out on this interview I, I interviewed Anthony Bourdain and I didn't know, knew very little about him and I got so yeah Do you ever watch his show it's I did a call yeah. you know he's channel surf and oh, all the food he's, folks he's wonderful yeah that's it's great great to learn about and he's got a new show on CNN where he travels mm-hmm. the world and he gets paid for that
2: yes <laughs> I think most of the people on CNN it's a good are I, I guess in yes they are paid of course for their skills his is, is just to travel
0: around eating things. And eating things. And, I, and he's just actually pretty slender. So he's watching what he eats. So in my next clip with him, we talk about the molecular food movement, something mm-hmm. I, was, I was unsure what that meant, but it's all the rage. And let's find out where that takes us. I'm reading recently about the molecular food movement, mm-hmm. where if you have enough power over molecules, just right. create the food from a molecular kitchen. What do you think of that term? Well,
3: trend? I think it's an unfortunate term. It's treating ingredients in new ways. It's manipulating pre-existing ingredients into unusual forms. And I guess the father of this movement was a guy named Ferran Adria, a great chef, a great restaurant, one of the most enjoyable meals I've ever had in my life. Where, where? Uh, called El Bulli in Spain. Mm-hmm. 50 cooks cooking for 50 diners. Never made a profit. Considered by many to be the best, best restaurant in the world. What Ferran explained what he did like this he said he's asking a basic question here's a truffle in this hand here's a perfectly ripe peach the truffles fifteen hundred dollars the peach is a dollar which is better which is better this is rarer it costs more money but is it more delicious than a perfectly ripe peach in season or a pear so he started asking, what if i treat the pear like the truffle I do everything I can that experimentation in science has if I trick you into thinking think you're eating a truffle, if I serve it in a way that you were forced to value it, that draws the eye, that change the texture, what can I do to this to change its value, its perceived value, to surprise you, to take you someplace you haven't been before, but then bring you ultimately back to something that, at the end of the day, tastes like a delicious, delicious pear. So. Yeah, they used a lot of natural, mostly natural ingredients like agar-agar, the stabilizers, various processes to either intensify flavor, to trick the mind into, you know, eating a strawberry that doesn't look like a strawberry or an apple that looks like uh, and feels like caviar in the mouth. That could be fun and exciting in the hands of somebody as talented as Ferran, and it could be a long, miserable night in the hands of somebody who read about them and thought it was a cool idea and started doing ghastly and terrible things to food,
0: sheerly to dazzle. Well, yeah, why is that different from, I go to the, the cheap deli and they've got the crab salad, but it's fish made to look like crab. Ferran would agree
3: with you, absolutely. There, there is nothing different. It's a technique and a process just like making ham. A leg of pork is a good thing, but as it turns out, if you pack it in salt and then, you know, hang it and age it and smoke it, it becomes even more delicious. So it's basically taking that same engine, whether we're talking a sea leg, as it's called, that fake crab, or the making of ham to a, an extreme degree.
0: Okay, but at least that's still using natural ingredients or ingredients available to them. It's not really coming out of the chemistry lab. This is not chemistry lab. Okay, it's so this molecular movement. It is, not a, the yeah, it, is, it is a modernist cooking that understands
3: and refined and expect that you know they spent a lot of time in workshops or laboratories figuring out why does an egg scramble what process is happening already when you agitate and beat proteins yeah proteins, proteins. get all right so what can we do how can we play with that process so we're not talking about introducing chemicals in almost every case most of the stabilizers or things like these were extracts of or natural ingredients that are used elsewhere in, in other cultures. So it's not chemistry class, but it certainly does look like a laboratory. One of his more famous dishes is the spherified olive, which is essentially the extract of the best olives turned into juice and then dropped into a solution treated with a substance, a natural substance, which causes it to basically spherify into a liquid sphere. Contained only by itself. So you pick up something very delicately that looks like an olive and it explodes into liquid. It's
0: (laughs) thrilling and delicious. (laughs) So it's like the essence of olive turned into a bigger olive.
3: Just as delicious as the original olive, but with excitement, surprise, wonder, and, you know, 50 courses of this, it's really like taking off to the moon.
0: You 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 look stunned by this description <laughs> of the essence of olive turned into an olive.
4: Well, I've had one.
0: actually. You, you had I'm one, amazing. and what is it?
4: It's like having a mouthful of olive oil. Ew. Good olive oil, mind you, but still olive oil.
0: Like best ever olive
2: oil. It
4: could be. Okay, so yeah, then a little, but
0: happened? little, but not as thick or as thick.
4: Yeah, pretty much just tastes it like olive oil.
0: So, if you take the essence of an olive, that's oil, right? Yeah, that's right. what olive presses well, do. I'll go home and drink some olive oil and be like, that, you go, that and you'll save yourself
4: a great <laughs> deal of money. <laughs> So uh, is, are
0: these chefs gone awry? Is this like...
4: Oh, I think they're having fun. It's boys with chemistry sets. <laughs> what? Murdering people. <laughs> like, yeah. That's it's, it's chemistry sets that they get to play with all this really cool equipment. They get to play with liquid nitrogen. What could be more fun than that?
0: I want, licor- I want a liquid nitrogen nozzle in my kitchen. See?
4: There you go. I've yeah. always
0: wanted that. I think there you, you probably could have one, right? I could probably rig that, actually, yeah. now yeah. that you mention it. So
4: if you had Liquid that- nitrogen
0: is very cool. It's, it's nitrogen-like in... It's in the air, in case you didn't know, 78% of the air you breathe is nitrogen. If you cool it enough, it will liquefy, but now it's like raging boiling because it boils. Yeah, very cold. Yeah, it's, it's, it's boiling at a very cold temperature. And what
2: happened if you sprayed it on a fish?
0: Uh, You would instantly freeze the fish.
2: And then if you, and then you microwave it, would it be delicious?
0: (laughs) Freeze it, then microwave it, then you have a mushy fish, right? (laughs) All right. (laughs) Just trying to see how
2: well you know science. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: (laughs) no, I've never tried that, but I think that's what would happen if you did this. So, uh, maybe there, there are things that a chef could still do to food that these boys with toys haven't Mm -hmm. yet devised. Well, they're
4: working on it. They're working on it. And there are lots of them working on it.
0: So, but don't, wouldn't it help if they knew the chemical properties of fat versus protein mm-hmm. versus yeah, they're working carbohydrates. On, some of them might. I don't know why you're assuming. No, well, what well, I'm asking, yeah. you, what in your experience yeah. do chefs have? I mean, the kind some, of some do, some don't. Do chefs have the nutrition knowledge that you have? I mean, you're an expert, of course, but do they have your threshold of knowledge that you think everyone should I have? I don't
4: think so. They have knowledge about cooking. That's what they're doing, and they're trying to take the what, what little science they know and apply it.
0: Would they be a better right. chef if they knew more of what you knew?
4: Possibly. Possibly not because so much of cooking is about taste and flavor and getting a feel for how you deal with the Do you concern yourself much with taste?
2: Absolutely. I, yeah, she seems to Absolutely. You think people should eat moderately different things? Oh, things
4: that are delicious. Yeah,
2: so that they enjoy yeah. it. She's not trying to get everyone to eat weird like paste yeah, <laughs> that is neutral think, of I, calories. I, I
4: think healthy food should be absolutely delicious.
0: That's how you'll convince people. No. Oh, okay, uh, but but know,
4: to me a really the
0: stereotype is that the healthy food is nasty and well, if, it's like taking your I medicine. I think that is
2: any more actually, I think that's changed. Well, it now... changed. I mean, Says my... the man
0: who's a voice in Bob's Burgers.
4: My, my, <laughs> that's my not uh, an argument. My, is. Uh,
0: <laughs> it is at this I'm, moment I'm, I'm, I'm invoking it word in as an argument.
4: Is. Go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my idea of a really great chef is somebody who can make vegetables absolutely delicious. So that's all you want to eat. Ooh,
0: that's an interesting chef's challenge.
4: Yeah. Take a meat eater and have them fall in love with vegetables. Many, many chefs can rise to that challenge without any trouble at all. It's true.
0: Just go to
2: Blue Hill.
4: Yeah. Blue okay. Hill is not a bad place to start. Okay, so you know about Blue Hill. Oh my God, I've had carrots. <laughs> <laughs> they they start out with little tiny yeah. spiked carrots yeah. and radishes. Remind me, Blue
0: Hill has their own farm or something? Yeah, is that they right? It's and really they, delicious. They do. They control expensive. all their own yeah. vegetable products, if I remember that yeah. correctly. They just
2: do. because I'm on a cartoon with the word burger doesn't mean <laughs> I eat
0: only burgers. Okay, I'm just, I'm just, just, just I didn't to mean to like world. offend. <laughs> I'm curious about something. When people eat, uh, different foods react to their systems differently. You know, some people get indigestion. I mean, you study the chemistry of people's reactions to food.
4: Well, one of the things that's really fabulous about the human digestive system is that it can take anything and turn it into calories and nutrients. Oh, okay. Really, anything. And if there are some people who are sensitive to certain foods and have food allergies and other kinds of problems, but most people
2: just even tofu.
4: (laughs) Even tofu.
2: Just making sure. Just curious. Most
4: people can take anything that was that used to be alive and that's edible so we it into so we're a calorie
0: factory we just wood more
4: calorie factory wood a wood would be hard yeah if but, we, but we, some people could that's not suggestible
0: i want to talk about eating no. wood in a minute
4: for that you <gasps> need termites that sure exactly
0: <laughs> uh when we come back to star talk radio more on our show on nutrition we'll be right back We're back on Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. I got Eugene Merman and Professor Nestle. Nestle. The verb or the not? Ne- the, n- <laughs> the verb! The verb, excuse me, Two Nestle, yes. We're talking about nutrition. We're featuring my interview with Anthony Bourdain. And we were coming out talking about, could you eat wood? Now, of course, termites eat wood. Mm-hmm. And they're having a field day doing so. Because mm-hmm. they have the digestive enzymes that can
4: get calories out of wood. They have bacteria in their intestines that Those allow bacteria. them to do that. Okay. We have bacteria in our intestines that can handle food fiber, but I don't think it handles wood very well.
0: Oh, okay. But actually it doesn't digest the fiber, it just passes it through, right?
4: It digests some of the fiber. The bacteria can digest some of, some of the fiber and turn it into little volatile fatty acids that get oh. absorbed, etc., et cetera.
0: Okay, so we can eat, like, so lettuce we can eat, but not like oak leaves.
4: It would be difficult. It would be difficult. It
2: would would
0: be difficult. it be poisonous or just
4: unpleasant? I don't know whether oak leaves are poisonous or not. I'll tell you in a
2: few days. <laughs>
0: yeah, why don't
2: you do that? Why don't you do that
4: experiment and be sure and take notes? No, but think about a future. If wow. if there's a
0: food shortage in the world and we mm. manage away to eat something first that allowed you to digest wood. Mm -hmm. Because wood has calories in it. It's got Mm -hmm. energy. That's why you can burn it in a fireplace. Absolutely. It's just not available to the human body as an
4: energy source. Mm -hmm. So we can imagine a a day where you can digest wood. And what would we do with all the jokes about food tasting like wood chips?
2: (laughs) We (laughs) would have to swap them out (laughs) for another object (laughs) or or plant.
0: Right. Some food food that, that, that tastes like wood. Would, like, would not on purpose. Yeah, <laughs>
4: tastes like sawdust.
2: Yes, but just
0: still <laughs> so wood. In, in my interview with Anthony Bourdain, we I talked about sort of the animal aspect of eating meat. I mean, if you can eat meat, it's a dead animal. Okay, are you are agreed? People, agreed. Okay, <laughs> not Go on, a, not Neil. a debatable topic. Uh, yes, uh, but uh, what does it mean to to eat something that's been completely uh, where its origin is completely. Concealed from you, it's just a burger. It's just a.
2: Oh, I see. Not like a farm-to-table kind of thing, but more of like just like buying a big pile of meat or finding it.
0: Right. right. Would you right. go out and kill the animal if you knew that's what you were about to eat? Let's find out what our conversation. I'll punch says. an animal
2: out and murder it. Yeah.
0: Maybe it's more true in America than in other places, but particularly in the carnivorous realm, we shield ourselves from the animal mm-hmm. itself. We buy a chicken; you don't see the feet. Right, you don't see the head. It's, it's just packaged, and it's just a piece of meat. Is that a good thing, or I mean, you probably? No, That's a, a bad terrible thing. thing. It's, but but why?
3: Why do you even? Okay, care? for a whole lot of reasons. It's always good to know where your food came from. It's only fair and just. My friend Fergus Henderson was a, a pioneer of what's called the nose to tail movement. He says it's only polite. You know, if you're going to kill an animal, or more more often, have an animal killed for your restaurant or your kitchen. It's only polite to eat as much of it as possible, to not waste. People should understand where their food comes from, how it was raised, uh, what the impact might be on their on society as a whole in that process. But I think also just as sentient, caring people, w- a decent person would prefer that their animal is raised
0: reasonably happy and, and killed with a minimum of cruelty. But if before everyone ordered their cowboy steak... Right. If they said, "Go outside, find the cow that you want us to slaughter, look it in the eye, and pull this trigger and shoot it," honestly, in the pig. I, I think that's an experience. The, the
3: more people who are who can do A cow with big eyelashes, you know, I, uh, it is something I've done. It's, when you travel this world, you meet your dinner frequently. It's difficult. When you've killed your first pig, you really start to abhor waste, disrespect to the ingredient. I'm a lot more careful about how I cook my pork now. You know, I understand something died for that pork chop, okay? Right. Right. I think you become a, a better citizen of the world and a, a more rounded person when you have seen that process and you've made some personal decisions as part of that. Uh, but it's a, it is a life-changing thing and I think everyone should take part in it.
0: I think that's deep. Do you agree?
4: Absolutely.
0: It's philosophically enriched outlook Mm -hmm. on the food that you that that you confront. Mm
4: -hmm. Many people don't eat meat because they can't bear the idea of either raising animals for food or killing animals for food. People who do eat meat, if they're thoughtful at all, have to come to terms with what that means. And his coming to terms, obviously, is he he wants to respect it has a lot of respect in it. I think that's a philosophical position that that a lot of meat eaters yeah. have these days. I do this I in- want my meat raised humanely. Yeah. I know I'm going to be killing it, but I want it at least raised
0: humanely. My one little part of that mm-hmm. that I do for myself, when I'm eating a shrimp, I eat the shrimp with the shell. Ah. I think the shrimp gave its life. I'm gonna eat a shell as well. But, plus it's chewable anyway. It's not like a lobster shell, right. but also,
2: I eat the lobster shell because I'm a little better than you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but also, uh, when, when I cook a lobster, you know what I do? I just I remove the the claw mm-hmm. rubber bands before I put uh, it in the. Oh yeah, doesn't everyone do that? No, I don't think so. Because I I I, I, you would I boil rubber bands with your food? No, I I want the lobster to have one last chance to bite me before uh, it goes in. I see. Right? It's just it's just a, it's a it's I a. I guess.
2: I selfishly do the same thing because I don't want to boil a bunch of rubber bands. <laughs> <What? laughs> okay. So it's good that we're both good people. But me, when we come
0: way. back, more about eating animals and some of them even carry diseases. When we come back to Star Talk Radio. We are back. Star Talk Radio. Neil Tyson here. Your personal astrophysicist. I've got Eugene Merman, comedian extraordinaire. Love your stuff, Eugene. Thank, thank, thank you. you. And Professor Marion Nestle, uh, recently authored a book, this- uh, Why
4: Calories Count.
0: Why Calories Count, <laughs> From Science to Politics. Awesome, and it's not your first book. It's no. not your first rodeo. No. You've been writing about this stuff for a while, so mm-hmm. thanks for being on. We're talking Pleasure. about nutrition, we're talking about food, talking about cooking, and in this segment we're talking about slaughtering animals, uh, some of which might have some disease that you want to avoid, and it includes interview clips that I conducted with Anthony Bourdain. Let's get right to, at the top of this segment, my interview with Anthony Bourdain where we' just come out of talking about slaughtering animals facing them in the eye if you really want to appreciate what you're eating and the fact that animals are a source of disease yeah. in the world let's find out some pathogens in our culture are directly traceable to viruses that hopped from animals that mm-hmm. we either farm or eat or wait how does that does that scare you sometimes i'm thinking of avian flu or or mad cow disease or even aids with contact with the the rest of the apes you know i think uh exercising reasonable caution the
3: same way you would if you travel around rural america uh is a useful thing to do wherever you go i mean the days when i would eat uh way as far out of my comfort zone uh you know, as a daredevil, just so that I could tell friends that I drank, uh, you know, live Cobra blood. I don't do that anymore. I guess I would advise people against. I, I generally... Well, we used to do that. Yeah, early on, I was so grateful to be traveling. I didn't think this whole TV thing would last. I'd never been anywhere. So, yeah, when I was in Vietnam, I made sure to get the live, still beating Cobra heart and drink its blood, just so I figured when it all ended, six months later, at least I'd get a free beer telling that story, you know? Um <laughs> I long ago changed the way I travel to be much more interested in the typical everyday thing. I think if you use the same philosophy, people always ask me, Do you get sick? Just stomach problems from traveling around, eating all that street food. Always ask yourself, Is this how your average person eats? You know, is the place busy? Uh, it's generally not going to be a concern. If you're aware that avian flu has become a, a, a concern in the area, yeah, uh, you know, undercooked poultry is probably not going to be a good idea. You have to, th- you will have to think about those things. Uh, if there's mad cow around, you know, maybe you know, calves' brains at a dodgy pub w- would would not be your first option. But I, I, I think if you familiarize yourself with what's going on, as any cautious traveler should, and don't take unreasonable risks. Um, you know, eating brains or spine in a uh, in a in a mad cow area would be a bad idea.
0: The, so just same, using common sense.
3: Yeah, just like they're not drinking the water in Russia from the top.
0: You shouldn't either. <laughs> <laughs> do as the natives do. So, Marion, uh, how much attention do you give in your profession to not only nutrition of food, but the hazards that the eating of food can bring you when they're contaminated?
4: Oh, I actually have a book. It's called Safe Food, The Politics of Food Practicing Safety. Practicing
0: safe food. Yeah. <laughs>
4: that that yes. Uh, yes. safe food. <laughs> yes. Exactly. You got it. You, know, I, you, know,
0: you e. know, E. coli, botulism, A. Yeah, I'm-
4: the, uh, the Centers for Disease Control says 48,000 people in America get sick with food poisoning every year, and there's 125,000 hospitalizations and 3,000 deaths. Those are the standard figures. But so I what do you do I, to avoid this? I try to. When I'm traveling, I try to eat <laughs> food that's been cooked. Cook the food. Cook the food. Oh, cooking does wonders. And,
2: and never food a sandwich safety. that you find on the ground.
4: Um, <laughs> <laughs> never
2: eat a, a ground no, sandwich no, in Russia. They always
4: say. Not more than five seconds. But wait a, anyway. a minute.
0: So, <laughs> all right, so you cook the food, but also cooking removes some of the nutrients from food. Isn't it? Yeah, right?
4: but not seriously. Okay. You know, It'll kill a couple of the more dicey ones like vitamin C and folate. But the others will be fine. And you will be so much better off eating cooked food and Places where the water's dirty, that you'll be grateful that you did.
0: Okay, so that's. So, but how about how about the pathogens that are not organic, that like like mad cow disease? Isn't that just a folded protein or something? Yeah, that's a folded protein. That's pretty rare.
2: Hey, what's a folded protein? You guys like, yeah, hey, it's a folded protein. Oh yeah, we know. Let's move on because no, everyone knows what that is.
4: It's a misfolded protein <laughs> that makes it even worse. What is that? Um, there are proteins in your body or, yeah. That's, and this one happens to get into the brain and it's bad and it's folded wrong and it mm-hmm. makes others fold wrong too.
2: Uh-oh, and then your whole brain folds wrong and what yeah. a folded brain is a dead brain, it's that's really what I bad. say. Yeah, it's bad. Okay.
4: It's bad. You don't want to get that, but it's rare. Yeah,
0: you definitely don't want to get fold brain. It's rare. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, avoid the fold brain okay. and it's something that cooking the food would not prevent. No. So avoid country. eating the brains of other animals. Yes. Okay. Sorry.
4: <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. When
0: Sorry. we come back to Star Talk Radio, more with my interview segments with Anthony Bourdain. We'll see you in a moment.
5: Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends.
6: You'll get support from people who care about your success from before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals, knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
0: We're back on star talk radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson and we're coming into to our final segment on this program where we're, we're featuring my interview with Anthony Bourdain yes. and, uh, and, Professor, you've been commenting on this. It's been been great. Just fleshing out what we're trying to explore, what what it all means. We came out of that segment talking about folded proteins. You didn't know about a folded protein.
2: No, and I'm willing to mis- bet a lot folded. of people did.
0: Misfolded. Mis- Everybody <laughs> knows about like a perfectly folded protein. It's the misfolded proteins <laughs> 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 that catch most
2: of. American the origami
0: pork. protein where they yeah. messed up the third the third, yeah.
2: the, the
4: third um,
0: standard which, form,
2: which is a danger that is unlikely and can't be avoided by cooking. Both of those right. things. Great. So um, I'm. Not afraid.
4: Don't eat animal brains. Yeah.
0: And, and how good is cooking at killing viruses as opposed to bacteria? Fine. which fine. That'll do it's that fine. too.
4: Cooking is really helpful if you're trying to kill bacteria right. and viruses.
0: And So it could be one of the greatest contributors to our longevity. It could. The fact that we started cooking food back when fire was tamed by cavemen. Yes. That, <laughs> a- if you boil a person
2: with the common cold, you will kill the common
0: cold. <laughs> So the question is how, what's, do you find
2: that perfect temperature before they die? Mm. Well,
0: Just, that's kind of what your body does when it raises its temperature, mm. is fighting bacterial infection. Mm. So you are not completely Wrong. crazy with that suggestion. <laughs> but I want to
2: boil people <laughs> to kill
0: them. But in fact, your body sometimes doesn't know how high to bring the body temperature, and it can kill itself, right? right? Mm. With a fever, yeah. Mm. yeah. No. Uh, so there. So I spoke with Anthony Bourdain about food in interesting, more exotic places, like food in space. What, well, what af- island? <laughs> what, what astronauts eat? Name one person or, or who's we're gonna ever go been to there. Mars, or we're going to go someplace. Just food at high altitude. Later this afternoon, I'm going to be speaking with the space station astronauts, and I'm going to ask them. Important, in inspired by this conversation, I'm going to ask them. Since it is an international space station, do they ever get together and swap each other's foods? <laughs> well, they do.
3: I've spoken to some astronauts about this, and it's really interesting what happens to the palate. At altitude and in outer space. Apparently, you know, if you have a stash of hot sauce, you're the go to guy in outer space. (laughs) They crave spice and uh, like chili sauce, Tabasco, some kind of good spicy relish,
0: seasonings. Something uh, to keep in mind. If if our next mission to Mars, would you volunteer to be their chef? um, Or advise NASA on it? Really be interested in going to
3: Mars. I ain't cooking. I had 28 years of it. Somebody else can bring the food. (laughs) I'll bring the hot sauce. (laughs) (laughs)
0: sauce. You you could be the the spice man, I guess, how to make the food better.
3: Well, and and it's, uh, you know, airline food tastes so differently on the ground and and at an altitude. uh, They have to completely reimagine it for what it's going to taste like up there. So I think I'd be well, given my experience in Southeast Asia, I think I'd be a good choice for the master of condiments.
0: (laughs) marion i'm intrigued by that i mean i I conducted that interview but it didn't hit me until just now that if your taste buds your brain taste bud connection changes according to altitude you need a different cuisine at every stratum yeah. of oh, uh, uh, where it's people why money live it
2: tastes so good eating in, in Aspen.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so i mean so Ed, what do you what is what do you know is known about eating at altitude
4: i don't think it's um, i don't think the reasons for it are known it must have something to do with the loss of oxygen tension yeah. there's just less oxygen
0: less oxygen and mm. even in uh, on a on an airplane that is not pressurized to sea level it's pressurized right. at much lower which puts less stress on the fuselage because if they pressurize the cabin at at, at, sea level. at sea level pressure then seals begin to give and it's it's and I'm, oh, you i thought at
2: first you were like you were talking about seal the animal no like, no no sorry oh, sorry you yeah. don't know how planes work <laughs> <laughs> you think they're powered by seals boy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so uh, and in the space station the same thing so so they might up the oxygen level to the same per breath, but the total air pressure is gonna be less. Mm-hmm. And we know you can survive in lower air pressure. So that's that's fascinating. But so things
4: don't taste as good and it's harder to boil water.
0: Yeah, well, it's yeah. we, well, so well, hard to cook an egg. You can boil the water, it won't cook the egg because it boils at a lower temperature. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, you do that. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean course, it
0: sounds
2: familiar. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't spend a lot of days boiling eggs in high altitudes, but sure, I've heard the thing. Right. About so what it. happens
0: is, as you go to higher altitude, there's less air pressure mm-hmm. on the surface of the water, right. and so the water's trying to evaporate itself, and it, at, at sea level, and it's fighting all these air molecules. You go to lower air, lower air pressure, water's popping up willy nilly, and so the Temperature the water boils is uh-huh. lower. Now you want to cook your three-minute egg. The egg says, I'm ready for 212, but you only give me 180. So your right. three-minute egg becomes a five-minute egg.
2: S- sounds like you you sh- you could you shouldn't be
0: poaching eggs in space.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but you should be making omelets on a nice hot pan, right?
0: Yeah, so we need a whole new cookbook for your very, for Up your various altitudes. For
2: the amount we're trying to get to Mars, so we haven't thought about how we're going to cook on the way there. You
4: don't have to feed robots. <laughs> that's we just give them sunlight
0: yeah so we we should re-engineer humans so that we can run on sunlight and that then,
4: would be terrific i but, would
2: love a helmet that absorbs solar energy but
0: then it's not as tasty the whole the food traditions of our world would yeah. be gone we've got to start wrapping this up okay. professor nestle thanks for coming <laughs> and and eugene and, and your book is out just came out a few why months ago why calories count why calories count i'm yeah. i'm all over that and yeah. Eugene, are you going to read her book?
2: I, I am. I, I'm actually totally excited to get your book. She should have brought a free copy for me, but I'll get it on iTunes or something.
0: And that was great. I want to publicly thank uh, Anthony Bourdain again for granting yeah. us that interview. And he was such a Hi, great Anthony. guy. Hi,
2: Anthony. I like your stuff a lot.
0: And he was, I like his food. He was so frank and honest, and he was such a great guy. That You've been listening to Star Talk Radio, brought to you in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Give a shout out to NSF. Well, You are NIH people excuse me nsf Uh all the way i am neil degrasse tyson as always bidding you farewell and to keep looking up
5: walmart plus members save on meeting up with friends